I hope you have your Bibles with you. Uh, we come to the last chapter of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15. So there are two words there that caught my attention. And if you have your Bibles, look at verse 18. And when Jason and I were looking at the text on Monday, I said, Jason, what a great description of what ministry ought to be. Because Paul says that he accomplished his ministry to the Gentiles through word and deed. So this morning I have two things that you're going to find uh, that's going to float in the sermon. The first one is, what is ministry? Now think about it. In years gone by and in months gone by, I, I have often challenged Nishami by a hypothetical question. And the hypothetical question has always been, if I take away the building and if I take away all the programs, what would Christian ministry look like? And the point that I was trying to make is so much of Christian ministry all over the world and even in America is a bunch of people coming to a building. And for us, it is 2985 Bristol Road. We've got planned times when people come. We invite people who are not Christians to come to this location. And then we have a program that runs for them. And the question that I've always played around with you is, what if we didn't have a building? And what if we didn't have a program? What would Christian life and ministry look like? Well, we're in times like that. So my question to you and I this morning that I'm going to engage with you and ask you, what is your ministry right now? Are you doing ministry? Do you have a desire to do ministry when we're in this lockdown? And if so, is there a biblical model that we can follow? So keep that in mind. The second thing that I want to uh, tease you with is a question that I have often asked myself, how do I do? And that is, what do you do when people say nice things about you or your ministry? More specifically, how good and godly are you in receiving compliments? Now, the flip side of that is, how good and godly are you when people criticize you? When people have something to say that's negative, how do you deal with that? Not for this sermon. I'm going to take the part of how do you do... How well do you do with compliments? When I think of many of you at Nishamani, uh, and I went through a list of the people who do things, many of you do a different kinds of ministry, whether it is cutting the grass, uh, doing something behind the scenes, teaching, working in a ministry. All of you, I'm going to guess, does something for the Lord. Here's my question when we come to it. If someone were to come and tell you, you did such a great job, 
pause for a moment. The question I'm going to ask you is, what do you do with that? What comes out of your mouth? Or more importantly, what are you doing with it inside you? My guess is most of us, whether it's compliments or criticism, we don't know what to do with it. We get uncomfortable. We get tongue-tied. And we kind of say some things that come to our mind just because we don't know what to do with it. I've got some suggestions to you from the Word of God this morning. But before we do that, I want to do a synopsis of Romans 1 to 14. And because you read that, I'm going to ask you the question. When you think about whatever you've learned, read, or even hear me preach, what comes to your mind of what has Paul taught us in the first 14 chapters? Would you respond to that in the chat screen? I believe I cannot see chat. Actually, I could. Uh, tell me what have you learned in the book of Romans? Phrases, theology, what comes to your mind when you think about what you've learned in the book of Romans? I have a few things that I've jotted down, but I wanted to give you a chance. What words have you learned? What have you seen in the first 14 books, 14 chapters in the book of Romans? Your turn. I'm going to give you a, a minute maybe to tell us what do you remember from the book of Romans? Because we come to the last chapter and this is winding up. Anyone? I see silence. Hey, wonderful. Thanks for the Browns. The Browns says we learned about justification by faith. Very true. Big word, justification. Uh, faith is always for salvation and for all. Uh, God is the one who calls. Great. What else? God will judge and he is righteous. Amen. We learned about God's sovereignty. We are more than conquerors. Because I believe in him, I will not be put to shame. Being set free by the law of the spirit. That's a great chapter. The role of the spirit. Of how the spirit sets us free. If we live by the spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body. Great. I was looking for some of that. So having said that, let me go through... And I'm not going to go through all of them, but give you some. In the first few chapters, we learned about who is a righteous person. I'm going to suggest that every one of you who have trusted Jesus is a righteous person. What does that mean? We learned that you are made righteous by faith and not works. And the example was Abraham. Uh, one of the things that you can always remember is circumcision. The circumcision of Abraham took place in Genesis chapter 15. 
Abraham was called a righteous man in Genesis chapter 12. 12 comes before 15. Faith comes before works. How about this one? We learned that Christ is our righteousness. Christ fulfills the law. Remember you learned what is the purpose of the law? Not so much that we can keep it, but to prove it to us that we are guilty of sin. The purpose of the law was to identify us with sinners. And then you have the problem, what do I do with it? And that's where Christ comes. Christ is our righteousness. Christ fulfills the law. Therefore, grace overwhelms the law and hence our sin. When you use the word grace, I hope you understand what it means. Grace is what God gives you that you are not worthy of, and it overwhelms the law and the sin that condemns you. And then we learned about the Holy Spirit, of how the Holy Spirit God has given to us. It is our hope for the sin, and it is what God's left with us. And then we learned about God's sovereignty, that God is the one who decided to pursue the Gentiles. And the moment you hear that, you should get excited because you and I are Gentiles. Thank God for God's choice and desire to purpose to pursue people like you and I. And then, of course, you come to chapter 14. We have this very interesting chapter. And since we are next to chapter 15, take a look at chapter 14. There are two living principles that we have taught. And the first one I think is so relevant, and that is uh, that we ought to submit to the authorities that God has placed over us. Uh, talking about authorities in chapter 13, uh, let me pause for a moment. Do you realize that in America today, there are two groups of people? Christians, and I'm talking about the Christians. One is, should we obey the authorities when they tell us to stay at home? Or the other group of Christians who say, we don't need to obey the authorities. We can do what we have because we have freedom, not only as citizens, but in Christ. I don't know which category you fall under, uh, but I think of this pastor in Louisiana who defied the the government recommendation to stay at home. And he had absolute confidence that God can overwhelm this coronavirus thing. Unfortunately, even as he congregated with his church, what was sad is he got the virus and he died, but in the process, infected people. Why do I take that as an example? There's a biblical principle taught to us in Romans chapter 13. And that is to submit to authorities. And before you defy God-given authority, I hope you're very careful. Be wise. And then you have the second part in chapter 14 that is a living principle. Don't be a stumbling block to those who are weak. Which brings me to verse 16 in chapter 15. Look with, let me read it to you. Let me read from verse 14 onwards. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, 
that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct each other. But on some points, verse 15, I have written to you very boldly by the way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God. That's what we saw in the first 14 chapters. Now here's what he continues to say in verse 16. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. What is Paul trying to say? Because he says uh, the Gentiles are an offering. Now, if you remember, Paul is the one who fought with the council in Jerusalem to be given the permission to go as a, as a evangelist to the Gentiles. And the early church struggled with if non-Jewish people came to faith, should they be circumcised? And that's all found in the book of Acts. At this point, at the end of his ministry, nearing his end of the ministry, look at what Paul says. He, he, he is rejoicing in the fact that there are a bunch of Gentile converts. And what does he do with that joy? He says, I give it as an offering unto the Lord. I, I want to whet your appetite on this thought that I gave you earlier where I said, what do you do when people compliment you when you do ministry? When you do good things, what do you do with that uh, compliment people give you? Here's a hint. Take it and give it to the Lord as an offering. As a priest, Paul offers what God has given him fruit in the ministry as an offering. So let's deal with this thing about, let me first read to you and then let's answer this question together. Look at the way Paul talks, and this might sound arrogant, but there's something for us to learn. Look at verse 17. He says, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Pause for a moment. Can you imagine yourself writing a letter to someone or telling someone else, I cut the grass at Nishamani and I am proud to be able to do that. Take any ministry that you do, whether at Nishamani or somewhere else. Look at what Paul has just said. He says, I have every reason to be proud of my work. Most of us wouldn't talk like that because we would feel uncomfortable. But if you look closely, there is something for us to learn. And I have a feeling many of us don't know how to handle with that. Let me tell you what's typical and unhealthy extreme responses when either you or I do something that's good. I am going to presume all of you do something in life that's good, whether it's at your place of work, whether it's ministry, every one of you are unique to be able to do something really well. You've got to agree with me, otherwise my example won't work. 
think for yourself of something that you do well. Either people have told you you do it well, or you know you do it well. Here are two unhealthy extreme responses. And sometimes Christians do this more on my first example. You will find people who say, no, 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 not, not really, I didn't do it. And we he and haw and almost deny the fact that it is good. You cook a good meal and someone says, that was amazing, that was great. And you say, no, 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 it's just ordinary. That is an unhealthy extreme. In some ways, that is a form of pride. The other more obvious pride is when someone says something good about you, you get all puffed up. And you kind of acknowledge it, even if it's not in words, you feel almost arrogant to think that you're the only one who can do it this well. And you go on to a narrative mode of saying how you've done it before. And you give 15 other examples of when you've done and whoever's listening to you kind of wonders, when will you stop bragging about yourself? Both those are unhealthy extremes. I was thinking as to how to bring up an example of dealing with something that you have done well. And so after hesitating for a while, I have an example for you on how to handle compliments if it comes your way. Now, some of you know this, uh, and I'll tell you the story of this bench. A couple of years ago, there were friends of ours who, uh, who were in their mid-80s who decided that Pennsylvania was getting very cold. They wanted to move to California because their children were there. They had some wonderful, great furniture, but as they were reaching closer to their leaving, they discovered they couldn't sell some of them. They couldn't give it away. And finally, Mr. Noble, the gentleman there, he kind of, while I was talking to him, he was getting frantic and he said, Joe, would you find me someone, a handyman, who can come and destroy, break this down because then I can put it out for garbage or ask someone to come and do that. I said, before you do that, let me come and take a look at what you have. So I went into his house, looked at everything he had in his house and in his yard, and I found china cabinets, dining tables, uh, chairs, and all that stuff, and I said, uh, please don't destroy this. Uh, I know some people, especially in Philadelphia, who could use some of it. So I took some of that stuff, uh, and one of them, or a few of them, was patio furniture. That I said, oh, please don't throw it out. I will take it. And so I brought some of this home two years ago and always intended to do something with it. And now, thanks to COVID-19, I said it's time to rework this out. And so, uh, by the way, before I go any further, if any of you want to learn patience and you're not a very patient person, I have work for you because one way you learn to be patient is to start sending things like this. Nevertheless, I started to work on this a couple of days ago, and here is what it looks like. Teak furniture, sand it, oil it, and you get to what it is. Now, 
I went through a process wondering, should I share this as an example? Because one part of me said, you know what? Uh, why do I want to brag about myself? The other part of me said, you know what? This is a joy for having done that. I'd love to share this joy with people that I know. Now, here's what could happen if you said, hey, Joe, that looks great. Here are the two extremes I could go through. One of it is to say, you know what? <laughs> no, it's not really all that great. It was easy. Uh, it's not a big deal. Anybody can do that. That's one response. The other response I could tell you is, hey, thanks for the compliment. Uh, actually, this is not my furniture. It was someone else's giveaway. And uh, I could pivot to tell you that I got this furniture from someone else. And here's the best part of this story. It's actually not about these teak furnitures from some of that furniture that I got from this gentleman's house. I held on to it for one year, put it into storage, not knowing what to do. And some of you know Mike and Sierra Burwell from Germantown. A few months ago, I discovered they bought a house, their first house, and they didn't have any furniture. Aha, I have furniture that belonged to someone else. Long story short, Mike and Sierra's home has all the wonderful furniture that the nobles had for many years, and now this is part of their life. And I tell people the story to say, look at how God has provided. You notice how I pivoted from receiving a compliment and then pivoting, it, pivoting to say, because of the generosity of this couple, an African-American couple in Germantown who couldn't afford anything much but buy their first house, today have wonderful furniture in their living room, in their bedroom, and in their dining room because of the way God orchestrated. Here's what I'm trying to say. There is a way of receiving a compliment graciously. Don't make it about yourself too much. Give credit where credit is due. So in this case, I would tell you, yeah, it took hours of sending. What a great joy. And then pivot to giving credit to where it really belongs. So can you find joy and pride in ministry? Absolutely. Here are the principles that you find. Look at verse 18. Paul says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Remember when we read verse 17, we asked the question, how could Paul say, I have every reason to be proud of my work for God? Notice what he says in verse 18. He says, I will not speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. So if you are doing any form of ministry, if you've done any good for anybody, no, you can't take the credit. The glory belongs to Christ. Here is what you can do. You can take the joy for the privilege 
of laboring with Christ. So I hope this morning you know where to place this wonderful thing of God using you in whatever way God wants. Give the glory to God, both in words and in your heart. But at the same time, God gives you the right to enjoy because we are co-laborers with Christ. That's the phrase used in scripture. Now, let me come quickly to verse 18 and 19. Look at what Paul says. I will venture not to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring Gentiles to obedience. And how was the process? Through word and deed. Here's what ministry ought to be for all of us. Ministry is not just doing words. Ministry is also doing things. Now, some of you I know have made masks for people during this COVID-19 thing. Do you realize that is ministry? Some of you have encouraged neighbors and friends. Some of you have used the word of God. I want to broaden what ministry is to say, look at how Paul did it. He preached, he taught, and he does, in fact, he, he does things. In fact, if you read further on, you realize he's taking an offering for the poor in Jerusalem. That's ministry. And so I hope this morning, one of the things you are able to do is to say, what is the kind of ministry that God has given me? Maybe you're not bold and always speaking about Christ, but you are great in your generosity in doing things. Don't underestimate what you're doing. That is ministry. Or maybe you're not the kind of person who, who can do a lot of things, but you are someone who can encourage people. You speak speak well, you are compassionate, people know that about you. That could be ministry. And what Paul is saying here is by teaching and preaching the word of God, by doing things, in this case, what are the deeds that Paul did? Verse 19 says, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the spirit of God. People of God, whatever you do, you can do it in the spirit of God. And if you do it in the spirit of God, it is ministry. Let me close with the fifth point. He says, reading on to verse 20, he says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Let me read that again. I hope you and I, and especially Ms. Shamini, would make this a priority. Listen to it again. Paul says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. You know, one of the things in America, and I guess it happens all over the world, is 
How do some churches grow? They only grow by transfer. People from another church who are upset about something come to one church, and usually people like that will find something to get upset here and they'll go. Usually it's by transfer that churches sometimes grow. Here's something that I want you to be encouraged, and I hope you will pray about that. And that is how wonderful if you and I and Neshamni can have a ministry where growth takes place because we have proclaimed the gospel to those who have never heard it. In groups of people where Christ has not been named. Paul would say, you know what, all the other groups of people, there are plenty of people working there. Find a group of people, a community, a person who has never heard Christ. And folks, here's what you and I need to realize right here in America, in our own neighborhoods. There are people who are clueless about the gospel. They have no idea what Jesus is. They have no idea what Christianity is. In fact, what they have is probably the wrong impression because they've seen the bad side of Christianity. One of my hopes for you and I is like Paul, we would have a desire. It has to start with a desire, folks. Start with a desire to say, Lord, may I have the opportunity to proclaim Christ where his name is not known. And Paul says, that's where I have done my ministry. Let me close. So the purpose is to proclaim the gospel where Christ has not been named. Let me close with giving you some things to think about as we end with the book of Romans. I want you to think about what is your ministry? What is your ministry style? And whatever it is, would you embrace that as a gift from God? That is who you are, and that's going to be the predominant way in which God is going to use you. Don't try to be like someone else. Don't try to do it someone else's way. Whoever you are and however you express your love of God in ministry, would you embrace that? Secondly, if you have found any fruit or success, if there's something that you know you do well, and other people have told you that, I want you to pause for a moment, and instead of being uncomfortable with it and not knowing what to do with it, pause for a moment and, and tell yourself, to God be the glory, the praise, and the credit. You see, if you don't know what to do with it, you won't do some very basic things, and that is to worship God. See, the glory goes to God. He used you, so give him the glory and the praise. Uh, revel in the Lord that by God's grace, you got to do something, big or small, give him the glory and the praise. And here's the other part that I hope you will do. Enjoy the privilege of participating with God. So go back to the bench that I sanded and oiled and all that good stuff. I am going to enjoy the fact that 
As much as I hated the sanding that would never end, I spent a few hours sanding. And I'm going to enjoy the fact that after it's done, I think it looks good. And so I took a picture, I stood before it, and I enjoyed the fact that God gave me the privilege, the strength, and the resources to do something. With whatever you do for the Lord, I want you to enjoy that. And if you want to, I think there is a wonderful way in which you can share it with someone. If you feel like doing it, do that. And finally, here's my prayer for you, that you would pray that God would allow you to connect with someone who does not know Jesus. And whether in word or deed, when you meet this person, share Jesus Christ. God loves you. God loves what you do. And let us give God the glory and the honor. Let me pray for you. And then Jason's going to close us with a song. Let's pray. Father, even as Nishamni Valley Baptist Church, we think about all the people who do so many different things. Some of them that happen during times when we are not in the facility, whether it be the cleaning of the church, doing the bills, whether it be uh, mowing the lawn, fixing the tractor, teaching children, leading the youth group, uh, being part of the worship team. I can go on and on of the numerous ministries that take place in our lives. And then there are many of us who do a lot of things outside the church. We care for some neighbor. We are encouraging to someone in our family or our place of work. We tell people that we'll pray for them. All of these things are ministry. And then once in a while, this is the truth. You smile on us and you bless us. What we try to do sometimes works out well. And we sense a feeling of honor and privilege. But the truth, Lord, is sometimes we don't know what to do with it. Teach us to be like Paul. Without being arrogant, he says, you know what? I'm really glad. I'm proud to be part of this. Teach us how to do it well. To be able to say, yeah, God used me. He's the one who made it happen. But also be able to say, I am glad to be able to doing it for the Lord. Maybe if we do it that way, more people will be attracted to doing things for Christ. Because it's a privilege and honor to work with you. And if there is any success or fruit, we are able to say it, the credit and the glory goes to God. And finally, we pray for ourselves. We live in a country that is becoming more and more godless. More and more people identify themselves in the census and any survey that's being done, they say they are not religious. May we find people like that, Lord. May you bring people to us 
who have that kind of a system of belief. And may we have the privilege of sharing with them who Christ is and what the gospel is. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen.